Truly, the reason we came today is to worship the Lord. And when we come with that motive, I mean, he is so pleased by that, and he will meet us in this place, and I feel like he has. And, you know, I'm, I'm here as sort of your cheerleader to encourage you to stand strong and to stand fast in your faith, and that those lyrics just reminded me that, you know, before we can stand, we have to come in a posture of just bowing down in submission to the Lord. And isn't that what our heart is just um, wanting to do right now, is just worship the Lord. So um, as we continue, thank you for coming back. Um, <laughs> um, are you ready to eat some more food, spiritual food that is? I loved my lunch so much. It was so good. Thank you for feeding me. <laughs> um, okay, as a quick review, do you guys also like my outfit change? Did anyone catch that? I got that idea from your sound man. <laughs> he was trying to help me and he was like, pulling out the sleeves. I said, wait, what are you doing? And he didn't realize it was reversible. I said, hey, that'll be my outfit for speaking number two. (laughs) Speech number two. But um, let's do just a quick review. I had encouraged you earlier to take notes, not realizing that in that goodie bag, you guys all have a great spiral, like notebook. How awesome is that? Um, And so, do you remember what our first point was um, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and uh, 13, 14? The first one was to watch, right? We're to watch. And I gave you three points, sub-points, of what it is that we're supposed to be watching for or, or being on guard about. And that was, we are to watch our doctrine. That's what we believe. We are to watch out for the devil's schemes. We need to be aware of that. And the third third, uh, point was we were to watch for the day of Christ, that Jesus is returning. Those are the things we want to be watching for. Our second point or our second command um, was that we were to stand fast or stand firm in the faith. And this is an intentional position that we take, knowing that in order for us to stand, we first need to sit with him, know his heart, and know his voice. So we're going to tackle three, four, and five in our time together. And I'll talk a little faster so we make sure to stay on schedule. But our third point is to be brave. That is the command, is for, for believers to be brave. When my daughter was about two years old, we went to visit my in-laws who lived in Arizona at the time, and they used to have this um, 80-pound, that breed was called a Sharpay. It's the one that has all the deep wrinkles. Okay, normally they might be cute, but this one was obsessively obese, and it always had drool coming from its nose or its mouth, and so... Poor Savannah, you know, she was too, it totally, you know, um, so much bigger than her. And we were in the bedroom and she wanted to go out into the living room area, but she knew Missy was out there. And she just looked around and she said, can somebody go, go out, go with me? And um, Jeremiah, her older brother, who was only four at the time, said, oh, Savannah, don't be scared. Missy won't hurt you. To which she said, and she can't pronounce her R's at this point, and she said, I'm brave. I just want someone to hold me. (laughs) And don't you understand that kind of feeling where we could be brave? I mean, I feel like there are times when I'm brave, but I I just want to know someone's there for moral support or to give me courage, to give me that little, you know, um 
that little confidence that I lack. And do you know that the Lord promises to be that for us? Um, we read over and over again in Scripture that God has promised to be with us. He repeats it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's this repetition, this constant reminder that he needs to tell us that he's with us. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then again, he says in 40, uh, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Why do you think the Lord has to keep reminding us to be brave and courageous? It's because we're so prone to fear, right? Fear can paralyze you. It can render you ineffective for the Lord. Fear muddles your mind and impacts your thinking. It can cause you to type and to um, say the craziest things on social media. Fear makes you do that. Or it can completely silence you because you're afraid. Even Paul became fearful and discouraged on his missionary journeys. We know this because in Acts 18, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he told Paul, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And so Paul continued there teaching the word of God. What was the reason Paul didn't have to be afraid? What was the key to his courage? It's because the Lord promised to be with him. He assured Paul of his presence, his protection, and that there were people in the city that would believe his message. He wasn't alone. And the Lord reminded him of his purpose, and that was to preach the word. So in this specific situation, the Lord promised Paul safety, but we know as we look at the fullness of Paul's life, Paul endured more than his fair share of hardship. He was mocked, imprisoned frequently, flogged severely, beaten, stoned, and shipwrecked. And yet he could boldly say, none of these things move me. In other words, suffering wasn't going to change his direction. He was going to stay the course. And I just always thought that was so interesting that he says, like, none of these hardships, like, none of these things move me. He didn't say none of these things hurt me, because I'm sure they hurt. Or none of these things bring me sorrow or break my heart, because I'm sure they did. But despite all of that, he was going to stay his course, fulfill his purpose, stand his ground. The Lord never promised that his people would be, separ- would be spared from sickness, suffering, or death. Jesus warned us that we will have tribulation in this world, and we're not even supposed to be surprised by it. But he does promise us his peace and his presence in the midst of those trials. As a Christian, you don't take courage in your circumstances. You take courage in Christ. 
Do you see where the difference is? Because our circumstances change. They ebb and flow up and down. Imagine we'd just be all over the place. If our courage depended on our current circumstances, we would probably be fearful all the time. Because when we look around, there's a lot of things to fear. But our courage is that we are connected to Christ. We're in Christ. How does the Lord, or how has the Lord, stood by you in the past? Does remembering what he's done for you in the past give you courage in your current circumstances? Maybe you can just take a second and think back of how he's actually stood by you. The trial that you actually were able to come out of and see the other, on the other side of. Like, when you remember that, does that give you courage? I remember hearing this awesome quote that said, his past faithfulness demands our present trust. And you know, God is faithful. He was faithful then. He's faithful to us now and will be faithful for, to us tomorrow. We can depend on his faithfulness. The Lord has called us. He's actually commanded us, do not fear, but rather to be of good courage. Courage is the ability to confront fear, pain, risk, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. Courage allows us to face those things, to confront those things. And we're going to need courage and boldness to live an effective, victorious, countercultural, and God-honoring life. And it won't happen accidentally, ladies. We need to be so intentional. And we do this by committing ourselves to Christ. We can do it. Because this is the thing. If God is calling us to something, if God is calling us to be courageous, he's not going to require something of us that he's not going to enable us to fulfill. Does that make sense? Okay. So if he's calling us to be courageous, we can be courageous. We're going to be courageous. But how? How can we be brave? I want to share four subpoints with you. They all start with the letter P. Did you guys know I was a, was a teacher, a first grade teacher? <laughs> this is to help us trigger our memories, right? Okay. The first thing is, and I got this from how the Lord came to Paul. He's going to come to us this way too. The first thing is we can be brave because number one, we have the presence of God. We have his presence. When we look around the world, our culture, and our current circumstances. It's easy to get fearful, angry. We can, get, um, we can feel helpless and even hopeless at times. But we must remember that God has not abandoned us. He is with us. We have his presence. Corey Ten Boom said this, I quote, If you look around at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, you'll be at rest. And then I read another quote that said this. You're not safe because of the absence of danger, but because of the presence of God. Okay, girls, we're safe because we have God's presence. So regardless of what's going on in our crazy world, we can rest in that. We can have confidence in this. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 7, verse 21. God told his people when he brought them out of Egypt and he was bringing them into the promised land, he was warning them and telling them that there were still going to be enemies that were going to need to be conquered. Okay, 
never expecting that they were going to go into battle alone. He was always going. He ensured the battle. As long as they trusted and believed in him, the battle was won. But he had to because we're fearful and they were fearful. And he had to give them this reminder. And he said, you shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God is among you. So this is the thing. It's like when we read about the character of God, it's like that makes a difference. We have a God who's great and who's awesome. And this is the same God who delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. Remember all of those signs, all those signs and wonders and miracles? That was the same God. So remember who I am. Remember what I did for you. Remember, you're going to have enemies and battles to, to wage in the future, but don't be terrified because I'm, I'm among you. He's promising his presence to them. And then we read about later, you know, the promise of Jesus, the Messiah. Do you remember his name that was given when he was born? Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. That's right. So Jesus is God with us, God incarnate. And I was thinking about the poor disciples. They got so used to having Jesus as their compadre, right? As their, as, you know, they, they did everything with him, right? For three years, they traveled with him, ate with him, um, heard him preach. And then imagine their sorrow or their brokenness, their shock when Jesus is telling them that he's going to leave them, okay? And he explains the plan of of the cross and crucifixion, okay? They were not understanding, right? They, They didn't get the fullness until after the fact. But in their brokenness and sorrow, imagine your best friend, someone you're leaning on, loving so much, and they're telling you, I, I'm, leaving, I, I'm going away, and, and you're not going to see me anymore. Okay, but what was their consolation? Jesus told them, I'm going to go away, but the Father, when I leave, the Father's going to send you the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and he is going to be in you. So what could be better than Jesus walking beside you? Because there had to be times where Jesus had to go one way and they had to go another. So there was separation on, on earth. But Jesus is saying, but it's a good thing that I go away. Because when I go away, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is going to live and dwell inside you. So we have his presence right now, girls. The trouble is, is that we forget that we have the presence of God because we can't see him. I mean, honestly, isn't that the trouble? What if you could see Jesus with your physical eyes standing or sitting right beside you? Wouldn't you be able to face any and all circumstances if you could picture him? Andrew Murray says this, I quote, It is only in the full presence of God that disobedience and unbelief become impossible. Let me read that again. It's only in the full presence of God that disobedience and unbelief become impossible. Um, Years ago, I was introduced to a Christian classic um, book, and it was titled The Practice of the Presence of God. By, um, by Brother Lawrence. Denise is shaking her head, she, uh, is agreeing with me. It is a Christian classic, and if you haven't read it, you can pick it up. Hopefully, it's still in print. It's a small book, but the premise of the book is um, uh, Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived in the 1600s, and he recorded how he was 
intentional about focusing on God, even during the most mundane and everyday tasks. So he would be, let's say, washing dishes or, or um, scrubbing the floor, and intentionally he would say, God, you are with me right now. You see what... And he would just cultivate this intimacy with God. And what it did is it created such peace in him and such joy within him. You know, the Bible tells us that that God indwells um, the praises of his people. He's there. Um, we know that when we intentionally focus on God, um, we recognize that, you know, that he's there. He's always there, but we're the ones who have to, to stop and to, and to recognize his presence. And then there's that wonderful song, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. I love that song. And then there's a real interesting lyric that says, let us become more aware of your presence. You know, the Holy Spirit is always with us. He indwells us. But we're the ones who have to be intentionally aware that he's with us. And if we do, ladies, we, do, we can be brave. Okay? We can be brave when we know he's with us. Point number two. We can be brave because we have the promises of God. The promises of God. So we have the presence of God and the promises of God. There are so many promises in Scripture. Peter describes them as great and precious promises. God is faithful. He is a promise maker, and he is a promise keeper. When we lack courage, we are to encourage ourselves by remembering God's promises. We run back to the Word, and we remind ourselves of God's character and what he has said. And these are the things that he says to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. He promises that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And you know, when you read through um, the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms or this cry for deliverance. And the Lord promises to deliver his people. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them and delivers them from all their trouble. So God promises to deliver, to deliver us. But the issue sometimes comes up that, you know, we often dictate to God how we want that rescue mission to take place. We cry out for deliverance, and we say, And this is what I want you to do right? This is how I want the pain to end. This is what I want you, how I want you to fix this, right? And so oftentimes, the Lord delivers us not by removing us from that difficult situation or taking us out or relieving us of that hardship, but he delivers us by entering into that hardship with us, and he walks that road with us. So he promises to be our deliverer, and ladies, he will deliver you. Trust him that his timing is perfect, that his heart toward you is good. And while you wait, he's working things out for you. So hold on to that, because that will give you the strength and the courage that you need. I heard this quote that says, There is no promise God cannot keep, no prayer God will not answer, and no problem too hard for him to solve. He is God. So we have to remember that. 
We can be brave because, number three, we belong to the people of God. We belong to the people of God. Aren't you grateful for the body of Christ? I mean, aren't you glad for the girl who's sitting to your left and to your right and in front and in back of you? This is the community that you're cultivating. We need each other. Um, You know, we're never meant to live life in isolation. We need each other. We're not alone in this battle. God calls us individually. He asks us individually, will you follow me? And the moment we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't isolate us. You know what he does? He brings others to come alongside us, to walk this journey with us. We need each other. So don't neglect your sisters in Christ. Don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together because we need to be strengthened and fortified, especially in the days to come. You're going to need your sister in Christ. I've noticed that my friends make me brave. Do do your friends make you brave? Find some brave friends. Hang out with them because it'll transfer to you. It's contagious. I see their example and it motivates me to pray more fervently, to worship with more passion, to share with more urgency, and to love unconditionally. And um, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have a person in mind. You be that person to somebody, okay? We need each other. We can be brave because, number four, we've been, given the, we've been given a purpose by God. We can be brave because we have been given a purpose by God. Do you know what the universal purpose of God is in your life? Do you know what it is? Every single woman, girl in this room... There's one singular overall overarching purpose, and that is to know God. You were born, put on this earth, so that you might know your creator. And I believe this with every fiber of my being, that the more that you get to know the Lord, the more you will fall in love with him. And the more that you love him, the more you will obey him. And the more you obey him, the more you will be transformed into his image. That's how it works, girls. We want this change. It starts with knowing the Lord. How do we get to know God? Through his word. Through his word. We fall in love with him. And that's my heart for all of us, is that when we come to the word, it's not going to be a mental exercise. It's not because we're trying to be smarter than everybody else, try to commit as many, you know, verses to our memory because we can win some trivial pursuit game one day. No, no, no. We want to know the word of God because we want to fall in love with Jesus. That's the reason we come to the word. That's the, that's the reason why we prioritize our Bible study time. It's so that we might have that relationship, that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And guess what? It's out of that heart of love that motivates you to want what he wants for you, to do what he is requiring you or commanding you to do. It's, it's like that's our motivation because you know his heart. And if he asks you to do something, it's because he loves you and he knows that if you do this, it'll be the best thing for you. And if he tells you to stay away from something, it's not because he's trying to be a killjoy. It's not because he's trying to keep you from a blessing. He's trying to protect you. But see, you only receive that as you know and are convinced that he's in love with you. So out of your love, you will obey him. 
And the more you obey him, the more you will be conformed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That is our purpose. That's the universal purpose. But then what's so exciting is that as you're walking with the Lord, the Lord is going to personalize certain calls, certain things in your life because he's gifted each one of you, given you talents and abilities. And he's going to want to use that, those things to bring him glory. Somebody in um, the workshop that I went to asked about, um, like, can we know our purpose or does your purpose change? And it's such a good question, you know? And we were talking about identity and all of that. It was really, really good. But what came to my mind is that, you know, the Bible says that we are his workmanship. Where his poema, where is his, his, his treasure, his artwork? It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has something for all of us to do, purposes for all of us to fulfill. And it's in Christ Jesus that he's given us these, these callings, these purposes, even before time began. And it's in our lifetime that we learn to experience that and we just walk in those callings. So it's not like we're striving. It's like we're in love with Jesus. We're connected and abiding in him. And it's like he gives us these opportunities and we, and we just, we do them and we sense his favor. So we've been given a purpose by God, girls. And when we're fulfilling that purpose, it'll strengthen us and it will give us the courage that we need. We can be brave as we walk according to his ways. What do you need courage for today? Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Don't be fearful. Open your mouth. God will fill it. If we're faithful to open our mouths and to speak the things that he's given us to share, he's called us to be his ambassadors. But make sure you're speaking the truth in love. I know too many obnoxious and critical Christians, and I'm sure you do too, that use their platform, whether it be social media or an opportunity to, you know, confront someone, that their agenda is to blast them and to shame them. That's not, that's not what the Lord would want you to do. We need courage to speak the truth in love. Truth and love, a perfect balance. If we only spoke truth without love, we can demolish somebody. Yeah, it's true, but you just kick them to the curb and what do they want to know about Jesus because it was done with no love at all. But then if you're just speaking love without truth, is that really love? You know, that's, that's empty. So we need to speak the truth in love. Courage is also what it takes to sit and listen. You know, it's not just to speak, but have that discernment when God wants you just to be that listener, to think about what you're hearing. So that's what it means to be brave. And our fourth point, our fourth command given to us is to be strong. Be strong. I saw an Instagram post around Mother's Day that said this. Here's to strong women. May we know them, may we be them, and may we raise them. And at first I thought, oh, wow, that's really inspirational. But there was something about it that wasn't resonating in my spirit. 
Did you know that God has never required us to be strong in our own strength? Our strength doesn't impress or please God. The Bible actually says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that they know me. That's the only thing that we have a right to boast in. It's not about how strong we are. We are called to be strong, but to be strong in the Lord. Underline that because that's key. We're to be strong in the Lord. I'm not into girl power, but you know what I'm into? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as Christian women, that's the kind of strength that we need to desire. That's the kind of strength that pleases God. It's not about um, what we can do. You know, that's like our cultural idea of it. Like being an American, it's like, I don't need help. I can do it myself. I can put on my, I put up my bootstraps and I can just do it. Don't, you know, you're so independent. Never in the Bible is God asking us to be independent. It's completely the opposite. He wants us always to be dependent on him, no matter what it is. Even if we think we can handle it, he wants to be connected. He wants to be involved. He wants us to rely on his strength. The life that God has called us to, ladies, is impossible to accomplish in our own strength. And if we try in our flesh, we'll fail miserably. But in the Lord, his strength becomes our own. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Greek word for strengthen means to put power in. We don't generate it. God supplies it. We need to be strong in the Lord. You know why, girls? Because we're in a spiritual battle. That's the reason why we're called to be strong. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brother, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then the verse goes on to list the armor of God that will enable us to stand and then to withstand in that evil day. And what's interesting is we know that the Lord has already won the battle. He already has the victory secure. But Satan, and we know that Satan has already been defeated through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Jesus has conquered the power of sin and death. However, as long as we're on earth, living in our fleshly bodies, we'll have these battles of temptation that will go on regularly. There's always going to be a battle, girls, between our flesh and our spirit. And so that's why we've been given the armor— God provides us with the armor, but guess what? We have to be responsible to actually put it on, to apply it. He gives it to us, but we need to apply it. So we've been saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we still have to fight the presence of sin. None of us are sinless in here, right? We still have that battle, but we can be victorious in Christ. That's why we're given the armor for protection, but we have to make sure we're applying it. And we have to make sure we're taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the truth of God's Word, in order to defeat the attacks of the enemy. This is our sword. This is how we fight. It's by God's Word. 
This is our strength. This is how we'll win the battle. You know, the strongest women of faith that I know, the strongest women of faith that I know, are also the most humble and the most beautiful. And I'm sure you know women like that too. When Savannah, um, I didn't realize that pictures were shown of my family earlier. So you, you know who I'm talking about when I say Savannah. She's my daughter. Um, she's a woman now. She's 22. But when she was a little girl, um, well, her personality is always such that she has been like a little dynamo ever since she was little. She is my fiercely independent child. She is strong and she is capable and she is um, tough as nails. And um, she's a great athlete. And her personality like is perfect when she's on the field as a soccer player because she's dominant, okay? And it's like, you know that she is focused and she's um, determined. All of that is good on the soccer field. (laughs) And I started to get a little nervous as her mother because I just feel, I just felt like, oh Lord, like I'm concerned about her. And the way that God consoled me is he gave me um, the verse, it's in 1 Peter 3, 4. And it says um, that a gentle and quiet spirit is beautiful in the sight of the Lord. And so I started praying this verse over her, and I started speaking this verse over um, over her, and I would say, Savannah, what's beautiful in the sight of the Lord? And she'd say, a gentle and quiet spirit. And so she, she knew to repeat that back to me. And this is the thing, ladies. I wasn't necessarily asking God to change her because God made her independent and strong and fierce. And you know what? That's a good thing. And when God can use that and for his glory, that's the best kind of um, personality that you want, right? Because um, she can stand strong. She doesn't buckle under peer pressure. And I can tell you that the Lord so honored um, that prayer because she's 22 now and if you knew her, you would, you would agree that she's the most pleasant and gracious and still brave but kind woman that you'll ever want to have a conversation with. And so that's the kind of strong women that we want to be and that we want to emulate. So what are three practical things that you can do because we're talking about feeling strong and being strong. But what, it, what, it, what do you do when you're just feeling weak and you're lacking strength? It's one thing to read in the Bible that you're supposed to be strong. But what do you do when you're lacking that strength? I'll give you some practical things, okay? The first one is to wait. It's just to wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Okay, so when we read this verse, waiting is not passive here, but it is intentionally being still and resting your expectation on the Lord. That's the kind of waiting that we do. It's not hands folded, twiddling our thumbs. No, it's intentionally settling our spirits and expecting that God is going to move on our behalf. That's how we're going to gain courage and strength. God promises that as you wait, trusting and looking to him in the wait, he's working all things out. 
What's that song we sang, Rachel? Even when we can't see it, you're working. Like, like we have to believe that lyric, right? Because that's who God is. The other thing that will strengthen your heart is to worship. We see the example of David in the Psalms crying out to the Lord. And I love the Psalms because David is so in love with God, and he has such this personal, intimate relationship with him that he doesn't hold back anything. Like, you read the Psalms, and that's David's diary. Like, when he's sad or mad or angry or frustrated, he'll let you know because he's letting God know, which is such a good thing. But in this particular Psalm, Psalm 57, 5, you know, David is overwhelmed. His enemies are surrounding him. And he declares, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And then he starts to praise the Lord. Girls, can I tell you, can I remind you of something? What overwhelms you, what overwhelms me, does not overwhelm God. We need to remember that, okay? We cry out to the one who loves us and cares. And not, it, it's, not, it's not just only that he loves us and he cares for us, because we can cry out to a friend. I know my friend loves me and cares for me. But there are certain things that my friend can't do to change my situation. But God not only loves and cares for us, but he has the power and authority to work on our behalf. So that's why we cry out to him, right? And we see David doing this in the Psalms. He cries out to the Lord, and I've noticed that, um, and, and he worships the Lord despite the way he feels, because he knows that that's where his strength comes from. And I have found that when I'm feeling down or discouraged or even depressed, you know what my strategy is? I blast my music, my worship music, and I just start praising the Lord. And it happens almost instantaneously that my heart just feels lifted, and that burden Um, just is removed from me, and I just feel this indwelling power and strength that is from the Lord when when we worship. The third thing that you can do, practical thing that you can do when you're feeling weak, the first one was to wait, the second was to worship, and the third one is to weight lift. Okay, give me, give me grace because I wanted them all to start with W. Okay, <laughs> but what I mean by weight lift is we build our strength as we endure, as we carry and hold heavy things. Um, I'm a gym girl and I'm at the gym like five days a week and I do resistance training and weight lifting. And when you lift heavy weights, it hurts. Because in essence, what you're doing is you're breaking down those muscle fibers, but then when those muscles are being restored, they get bigger and stronger and leaner, and you, you get more muscular. And similarly, when we're feeling the weight and pressure of life, or when there's resistance in our lives, if we endure and not give up, we're building our faith muscle, and they're getting stronger and stronger. Our faith muscle is getting stronger and stronger. I desperately want to be a woman of faith. Don't you? Is that like the desperate cry of your heart? Don't you want to be women of faith? Okay. This is what we have to realize. That hard thing that we're going through right now, that's the very thing that God can use to build you and to make you that woman of faith that you want to be. 
if you would just endure, that you would, that you would just not give up, that you would just keep trusting. Because God is able, that hard thing that you're going through has the potential to either break you or to build you up. So look, make sure you have that perspective, okay? That's how we become strong, courageous, powerful women in Christ is when we endure and we, and we endure those, those challenges. We have those eyes of faith that say, okay, in this moment, I have a choice to make. Am I going to be strong in the Lord or am I going to, you know, succumb to my own weakness, my own fear? You know, and it's in that moment when you trust the Lord, when you have those eyes of faith that God is building up your strength building up your faith. So let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He's strengthening us. And our fifth and final command, we've gone through, this will be our fifth one, right? And we'll, we'll do a review at the end. But you know what the fifth one is? It's to love. Love, exclamation point. <laughs> the verse ends with, let all that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. Notice that this verse isn't admonishing us to do more. Rather, it's reminding us to check our motives. What's the attitude of our hearts? You know, as women, we can do a lot. We can accomplish much when we put our minds to it. But are we remembering to do it with love? Is that our motivation? Jesus himself was a servant. He was the servant of all. And he said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he called us as his disciples to be servants as well. He made the job of a servant honorable. He elevated that position. We should be so proud to call ourselves servants, servants of the Most High King. And we're called to serve one another. As a mom, you're serving your family. You're cooking dinner, folding laundry, unloading the dishwasher, taxiing your kids back and forth from school to, to soccer practice. And as a wife, you're serving your husband, picking up the dry cleaning, making him coffee, being his helpmate in all things. As an employee, you're serving your boss, clients, and coworkers. And as a ministry leader, you're serving the Lord and the church and the women of your church. And some women aren't always so easy to deal with, right? But you've been called to serve them. Are you doing those things with love? Um, my father-in-law just told me we went out to dinner for, for Mother's Day, and we went to an Italian restaurant, and he ordered lasagna. And I'm not a really good cook. I think when we had to stand up or sit down, I actually stood up for washing the dishes, not doing the cooking. But I do a few recipes well, and one of them is my lasagna. And so my father-in-law ordered lasagna, and he took a bite, and he said, this lasagna is good, but it's not as good as yours, Melanie, because I know when you bake your lasagna, you make it with love. I was so touched by that because he's a kind of a stoic Englishman, and for him to say that was a really big deal. <laughs> but, you know, he recognized that I, 
that I make him lasagna with love. And we should be serving not out of obligation, guilt, or trying to prove our worth or for the approval of others. The Bible tells us that we can be making all kinds of sacrifices. We could look good, sound good, and put on appearances to impress others. But if we're not loving, it's pretty much worthless, and we're going to feel empty. The scripture we have to commit to memory that will help us tremendously, ladies, is Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, that says, Whatever you do, do it heartily, meaning do it with all of your heart, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ." Isn't that set? That's our motivation. And that's what's going to help us keep us from being bitter when our husbands throw their socks right beside the laundry hamper instead of inside the laundry hamper, right? But when we're picking up those socks and we're like, we're doing this for you, Jesus. These are like your socks. Then we're not going to, we're not going to be mad at our husbands, right? (laughs) Or picking up your kids' toys, right? You do it for Jesus. And that'll keep our hearts in that place of just being honoring to him because we serve him ultimately. And our husbands and our kids are just like the byproducts of of getting the blessing, right? Um, As Christian women, love is our highest goal and our strongest motivation. We operate in love, with love, and out of love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all these things, Have fervent love for one another. Fervent means to be stretched or strained. It's a love that is strenuous and involves sacrifice. So it may call you to do something that might not be convenient or to push you out of your comfort zone. That's the kind of love that we are to have for one another. When Jesus commanded us to love, he used the Greek word agape, which means unselfish concern for an Uh, for another, and a willingness to seek the best for others. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. So that begs the question, how did Jesus display his love for us? Because the way he displayed it to us is the way we're supposed to display it to others. So how did he display his love? We simply have to look to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, there was a cost involved. His only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved us sacrificially. He was willing to give all. He did give all. He gave us his very life. He loved us in humility. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know, crucifixion wasn't an honorable way to die. It was the most humiliating, excruciating, and degrading form of death, reserved for the worst criminals. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He loved us generously, promising life everlasting. When we consider... All that the Lord has done for us, isn't it our reasonable service to give him our very lives? To trust him at his word? To believe that his heart toward us is only for our good? 
When he commands us to do or not do something, shouldn't we be willing to obey because we're convinced that he's perfectly wise? Shouldn't we choose to submit to his authority because we know that it'll result in our greatest blessing and our ultimate satisfaction? Ladies, love is our greatest testimony that we can show the world. John 13, 35 says, We are to love God and love others. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christians should be the most loving people on the planet. Shouldn't we? Because God demonstrated his love for us that was that was sacrificial, that was humble, that was generous. That's the kind of love that we are to show to others. So how does love express itself? If we look to the world, we'll falsely believe that love is a feeling, a fleeting emotion, or that all love is equal, acceptable, or permissible. We see t-shirts and bumper stickers and ad campaigns that say, all you need is love, or love is love, and it can get confusing. As believers, we once once again go back to the word of God because that's our authority, that's our security, and that's the truth that we stand on. And we ask the Lord, Lord, would you tell us what love is? 1 Corinthians 13 is titled The Love Chapter. And you're probably familiar with this, especially if you've gone to a wedding lately, right? Because it's often quoted at a wedding. Um, But this passage actually lists love's characteristics. And if you replace the word love with the name of Jesus, you'll see love personified. So it'll sound like this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Now I want you to try to insert your own name. Can you say, can I say, Melanie is not irritable and keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) Denise does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Pam never gives up. Yvonne never loses faith. Um, Rachel is always hopeful. And I don't know all of your names. The cute pregnant girl at the front, (laughs) Veronica, (laughs) endures through every situation. It's a convicting exercise, isn't it? But this should be our goal, to love like Jesus. We hear a lot about love and pride these days. But you know what? Jesus wasn't proud. He was a foot washer. Can we deal with the dirty smells and the undesirable things? In humility, Jesus bends low. Can we humble ourselves that way? And are we willing to do the lowliest of jobs for his glory? He cleanses and removes our sin. Can we use the water of the word to refresh others? 
Our world needs more Christians who act like Christ. And I want it to start with me. As we see him in Scripture, we need to study him. We need to stare at him. Because you know what the Bible says? That as we behold him, we become like him. Our goal is to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. I mentioned to you, I think I mentioned to you, that my, um, my parents flew out from Tennessee uh, for the wedding. They retired there, and my dad came out, and um, my dad stayed with us before the wedding, and he, he wears this real sweet-smelling cologne. And I realized that after hugging him, you know, I hadn't seen him in months, and after hugging him and just being around him, that that fragrance transferred onto me. And you know what, girls? That's what we want to happen with our Heavenly Father. We want to look like Him, sound like Him, smell like Him, respond like Him, go where He goes, do what He does, right? That's our example. You know, as I come to a close, I recognize there's a lot of women, a lot of girls in this room. And perhaps you've been here today and you've been hearing me talk about um, having this relationship, this uh, about living and loving Christ, and you recognize that you don't have that, or at least you don't know if you have it or not. Can I tell you, it's as simple as just admitting that you're a sinner. We're all sinners, but you have to come to that point where you admit that you're a sinner. You fall short. You can't do this on your own. And you just say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. It's just calling out to him and asking him to be that. And you know what? He can't wait to take you by the hand and to lead you through life. And then I'm thinking that there's maybe some of you who are newer Christians. We lovingly call you baby Christians because you're just taking those first steps of faith. And maybe you're just feeling the strain of just the Christian life because you know what? There's no promise that, that your life is going to be easy just because you're a Christian, right? And actually, Jesus tried to tell us that to prepare us so that we wouldn't be moved and we wouldn't be shaken when things get hard. Can I just encourage you to keep going, to keep walking with him? Ask him for what it is that you need, and he will provide it for you. Don't back down. Don't back out. Don't bow out. Or maybe you're here. And you're a seasoned saint. And I see a lot of women who would be in that category. And I've talked to you, and you've been such an encouragement to me. And I know you're an encouragement to um, those around you. You've been in the church for years. You're the pillars of faith. We need you. But perhaps you're here, and the Lord has been stirring in your heart that he wants you to be more bold about your faith, that he wants you to live it out with more conviction. Can I tell you to do that? Because we need you. We need those examples. Because we embolden each other when we see that, when we see that faith in action. The truest test of our love for God, I alluded to this earlier, is our obedience. Because the Bible says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Maybe you've heard me speak on this passage. And you desire 
a fresh anointing to live out these commands that God is telling us that we should be putting into practice. Because this is the thing, ladies. We can hear the teaching. Someone said it early, we, earlier. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So we're being reminded that we're supposed to, the command is to watch, to stand fast in our, in our faith, to be strong, to be courageous, to do everything with love. And we know it in our heads. And we're like, okay, that's my marching orders. That's what I'm supposed to do. But we need Jesus to help us apply these things, to put them into action. So I'm going to ask you, if you're here and you desire a fresh anointing from the Lord and able to, to enable you to do these things, would you just stand up and let me pray over you? If you just want that fresh anointing, would you stand Okay. Thank you. Well, let's let's just close our eyes. Oh, and let me just pray over you. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who convicts and who convinces us that we need you. And Lord, my sisters are standing now, standing before you and asking for that fresh anointing. Lord, you tell us in your word that if we pray according to your will, that you will hear us and that you will answer us. And we know we're praying in your will because you've told us to do these things. And now we're asking your help in order to do them. And so you are going to answer us. So we ask, Lord, for that fresh anointing I thank you that my sisters have a desire to honor and to obey you because they love you. It really is our reasonable response for all that you've done for us. Jesus, you are our great reward, our prize, and our treasure. Lord, may we become women of your word. Help us to watch and to be on guard that we would live out the doctrine that you have given us in Scripture, the Bible, the authority. This is your love letter. This is your word to us. May we live it out to a dying world so that they might have life. Help us to stand fast on you. You're our solid rock, and we won't be shaken because our footing is secure. Strengthen us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us bold and courageous so that we can fulfill our purpose to know you, to love you, to obey you, and to be conformed into your image. Lord, we want to be marked by love. May your love fill us to overflowing so that we can then pour it out onto others. Lord, we thank you for your word. We've heard it. And now, Lord, we ask that you would empower us and enable us to do it. And it's in the mighty name, the matchless name, the wonderful name, the name that we bow before, Jesus. It's in your name.
Amen.